Chapter Twelve of the Women Who Make Our Novels. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Women Who Make Our Novels by Grant Overton. Chapter Twelve. Cora Harris. They rise before dawn, gentle souls who find peace in the labor of their hands and in their astonishing faith they are the silent companions of their husbands people do not talk much in the valley because there is not much to say they know the weather a few psalms a few golden texts and a few hymns by heart they also know each other the same way which is a good deal more than husbands and wives can always claim in this place i do not know a single lazy woman in the valley nor one who is unhappily married they worry some over the bees when they swarm inopportunely and over the chickens when they take the roop and over the children when they've had a bad cold or do not learn their sunday school lessons but they do not worry over their husbands they are not angry with mankind as near as i can make out they want better schools and they long for a closer walk with god but I never knew one to want a limousine or a servant to do her work or a nurse for her baby And you could not put one of those fashionable split corkscrew skirts upon any of them call it what you please evil mindedness or modesty But they are as far removed from the fashionable clothes one sees upon women in New York as these women would appear to them removed from decency and thrift I do not know how long such a state of sweetness and homely goodness will last there the feet of youth take hold upon the ways of the world When I return this spring I may see some girl at the singing school on Sunday afternoon Wearing a tight skirt, but I am thankful I have seen what I have of the simple direct living of these men and women in the valley Whose only problem is to perform the day's work well to love one another and to believe in God and his mercies Thus Cora Harris in the spring of 1914 in New York It is almost superfluous to say that No other man or woman of the writers of this country could have uttered the words because no other American writer has that homely vigor and biblical phraseology Nor that peculiar directness of uttered thought which can express in one breath the longing for better schools and a closer walk with God Which can contrast the things of the flesh and the things of the spirit in the same sentence From the day when the first installment of a circuit riders wife appeared in the Saturday evening post It was manifest that America had a new writer of distinction The distinction is not so much literary as national Cora Harris's work could be nothing but American it is racy of the soil and crusted with unusual and deep personal experience of life the experience was externally of a rare sort but spiritually of a wide and common and very profound sort it was an intensive cultivation of the soul that she shared with us and we who had had a taste of that experience were able to understand and rejoice in it for the depths of life are spiritual depths they are not gained by travel be it ever so wide nor by exciting worldly adventures They are plumbed at home by the fireside 
at the supper-table, in bed on sleepless nights, in the snatched intervals of exhausting and ordinary toil, in the room where a father lies dying, in the room where two young people are confessing love, in the room where a child is being born. Cora Harris was born on a typical southern cotton plantation owned by her father, Tinsley Tucker White, at Farm Hill, Elbert County, Georgia. Her mother had been Mary Elizabeth Matthews. The girl spent her early years on the plantation and was educated at home. Occasionally she made trips to town behind two white mules. When she was fourteen, she was sent to a local seminary. A few years there, joined to the desultory teaching at home, gave her what was considered in the South of the late seventies and early eighties. She was born March seventeenth, eighteen sixty-nine, a very respectable education for a girl. At seventeen, she was married to Lundy Howard Harris, a young minister. It was his first few years on a Methodist circuit which gave Mrs. Harris the material from which she was able later to construct a circuit rider's wife. After two or three years of preaching, Mr. Harris became professor of Greek in Emory College, Oxford, Georgia. Then, for the first time, his wife began to write, using the pen name of Sidney Erskine. She met with no success until she was twenty-five. Then Clark Howell, editor of the Atlanta Constitution, published in the sunny South, owned by the Constitution, a story of hers called Darwinkle's Dream. It was a gruesome story, and Mr. Howell made Mrs. Harris rewrite some of it to give the poor fellow, the hero, a better chance. Gruesome, yes. Nevertheless, Mrs. Harris's friend, Joel Chandler Harris, creator of Uncle Remus, laughed over what he called the humor of it. In 1899, Mrs. Harris had a series of articles on the South's problems accepted by the independent magazine Steady Progress. Thereafter, she became a contributor to the Saturday Evening Post, and with the publication of A Circuit Rider's Wife, reached her deserved place. Her husband died on September 18, 1910. They had been married since 1887. Mrs. Harris's home is in the valley. We have heard her describe not so far from Atlanta and near Pine Log in Bartow County, Georgia. It is a long, low log cabin with a forest of cathedral palms in front of it. From the west you look down slopes to the crops Mrs. Harris grows, for she is a farmer. The living room around which the house is built was an Indian cabin over a hundred years old. The dining room is in back of the living room and is decorated in yellow browns. Isma Dooley, writing an article which appeared in a number of southern newspapers, completes the picture. The marigolds on the table are a harmonious touch, and as I write, the whole cabin is gold-lighted by the afterglow of the wonderful sunset. Mrs. Harris's own room and sleeping porch are on the first floor. The guest rooms are up a granite rustic stairway, cozy apartments done all in blue. A rustic passageway leads to the kitchen and servants' quarters, all of log construction. Mrs. Harris's little study is another adjunct of the cabin, and is in the shade of stately pine trees. There are no neighbors within a mile, but Mrs. Harris has a large acquaintance in the county, and is devoted to the people and their interests. 
she told me many things about them as we took a long drive this afternoon behind her stout mule team blythe and cobb and driven by hicks a colored retainer the mules were apparently named in honor of fellow contributors to the saturday evening post good evening mrs pliny said mrs harris as she greeted an old woman sitting out in front of a typical little country house the woman smiled and responded when i passed here the other day said mrs harris and commented on the cosmos blossoms in her yard she remarked neighbor you should see them when the wind blows the blossoms they look like butterflies the next morning i heard she had shot that day at one of her neighbors it just shows that a poetic soul and desperation often go together here hicks interrupted in apologetic tones but miss cora the man she shot at was all the time a teasin her dog at the time of miss dooley's visit mrs harris had been for some weeks endeavoring to buy a saddle horse the author had looked at about twenty-five animals and was contemplating the purchase of a young and beautiful creature having every virtue and grace a horse can have but mrs harris remarked when i asked the man the price of this paragon he said one hundred dollars we could wish there were space in this book for the reproduction of some of the letters mrs harris has received since she began writing they are touching and amusing and altogether extraordinary the book in search of a husband for instance brought her an epistle from a young man of twenty-seven who was in search of a wife though he had entered the presbyterian ministry at fifteen and had worked his way through college and the theological seminary he was full of fun and liked good shows music and baseball i suppose the worst habit i have is smoking he explained naively i have visited every place of interest in north america with all my experience all my studies and all my theories i ask myself again and again do i know what love is mrs harris endeavors to make some answer to all such letters but it must have been a baffling task to frame a reply to a reader whose letter began often i have noticed that in your metaphors you employ terms used in technical grammar for instance in your circuit rider's widow he has never risen above having his virtue conjugated in the subjunctive mood i naturally inferred that what he did or said was contrary to fact as that conveyed the substance of the definition of the subjunctive mood but you follow up with may can must etc signs of the potential mood this perplexed and perplexing inquirer went on to praise mrs harris's character drawing it is not her character drawing penetrative and uncanny as that is a man once growled this woman knows too much that most distinguishes mrs harris but her irony her corrosive sanity take her plain talk on eugenics during the last ten years that i have been coming to new york i have heard one subject discussed more than any other more than art literature science politics society religion industry or commerce this is sex and the people whom i meet are not decadent they all harrow it dissect it with an openness a tristam shandy frankness that would imply they have no personal sense of gender male or female 
one very distinguished man who is interested in the problem of sex not for but i should say out of the working girls said this to me we want to give these girls the right start sexually it is what nature always gives them by the way we are trying to inform them of everything concerning sex of everything destroy their curiosity you know how will you do it i asked why with lectures upon it with plays dramatizing its dangers and these moving pictures of the white slave traffic these are some of the means we're employing i suppose you never thought of marriage i suggested that is nature's method oh marriage but you see they can't marry men won't have them not enough men anyhow besides a great many of them ought not to marry the kind of men they can and do marry these very unions breed most of our criminals there you have a sample of the intelligence of this place it is so wrong from beginning to end that no problem of living in it can be solved right everybody must therefore beg the question these girls are not fit to become wives these men are not fit to become husbands so they are to be saved by informing them of what they miss in marriage i doubt if it saves them however they have got as far as naming the problem eugenics they hold conventions around about this place to decide how a thoroughbred human animal can be produced laws are being passed or framed for passing which requires a physician's certificate of health from the contracting parties in marriage it sounds right it could be right if such laws could be enforced but they cannot be you might as well pass a law that smoke shall not rise that stones shall not fall when two people love one another that way they will marry whatever their physical rating may be when a circuit rider's widow was published it was interpreted in some quarters as an attack on methodism or upon the methodist church south there were also allegations that mrs harris had been blasphemous in certain passages the charge of blasphemy was foolish and the conclusion respecting mrs harris's attitude toward methodism must be modified upon reading her very direct statement i believe in the methodist church its doctrines the liberty and breadth of its original purpose i believe in felix wade the central figure in a circuit rider's widow as the preacher to come who will deliver this church from what is almost a military system of government menacing to its spiritual power in short i believe in the democracy of the religion of jesus christ such spirituality cannot be properly interpreted by an autocracy nor by a commercialized civilization which we are very rapidly developing in this country the reader will be mindful reading the last sentence that it was uttered in 1916 a year before America's entrance into the war against Germany Mrs. Harris's books require reading not critical discussion and having read them the criticism ensuing will not be literary criticism but a criticism of life which literature is sometimes held to be in the valley she lives with her daughter faith now mrs harry leach it should be noted that the acknowledged original of susan walton in her book the co-citizens was mrs william h felton georgia's pioneer suffragist 
a woman much honored for her public spirit and for public services rendered as a private person notably the production at the right moments of a scrapbook in which were pasted all sorts of bits of information about office holders and candidates mrs felton collected these items for years she was over eighty when mrs harris wrote her into the co-citizens and although she lived in cartersville near the valley the two women did not meet until after the publication of the novel no better close for this chapter than its opening mrs harris's own words she is picturing her life and quite as vividly herself to isma dooley it is after her visit to the european battle fronts she revives not what she saw of horror and struggle there but what she has known of pettiness and greatness in her peaceful home i was so worried over the feuds between the brethren and the choir and my own fault-finding spirit that i used to go round behind the church sometimes and sit down among the graves to comfort myself we have buried our people there for sixty years men who never could get on with each other in the church are lying side by side like brothers in the same bed i say it encourages me to know that the time will come when we too will finish our day's work and the strife with which we test each other's spirits and lie down out there like the lion and the lamb together but we shall be dead which in my opinion is the only safe way for lions and lambs to lie down together i'd sit there and watch the fallen autumn leaves come whirling and tipping over the tombs like little brown spirits of the dust blown in the wind i thought of what a good man old amos tell was though nobody could get on with him in the church but his contrariness didn't count now in my thoughts i only remembered how he bore the burdens of the church how cross but generous he was with the poor how he made the coffin for molly brown's husband and didn't charge for it then i'd bend down and pull a few weeds from among the violets that grew round his monument as i'd have dusted his coat for him after a long journey and i would walk over and look at john elrod's fine tomb john who didn't know whether he was willing to be a fool for christ's sake and who surpassed the wise in the simplicity of his faith i'd look down at abby carmichael's grave as i passed such a dingy little grave with such a meek little monument over it we used to think she was a great trial in the missionary society always wanting to turn it into a spiritual meeting instead of attending to the business and collecting dues she was hungry for the bread of life from morning till night now she was satisfied with her dust lying so close to the roots of the great trees people look better when you remember them after they are gone and you do not need to contend with just their mortal frailties and you wonder why you ever put so much stress on them anyhow i always feel as if i can bear with the living more patiently after i've spent an hour in this churchyard and seen how far removed the dead are from their transgressions books by cora harris a circuit rider's wife 1910 eve's second husband 1911 the recording angel 1912 in search of a husband 1913 the co-citizens 1915 
a circuit rider's widow, 1916, making her his wife, 1918. The first two books are published by Henry Altmus, Philadelphia, the rest by Doubleday, Page and Company, New York. End of chapter 12